Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow on this Tuesday edition. We are live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine across the Outkick Network that includes the YouTube channel. You we're currently watching. We hope you'll subscribe while you're there to all of the great content from OutKick and across the great radio platform, the great station you're listening to right now. A lot to get to today after a busy and long holiday weekend. Uh, let's see. Michael McHenry will join us to break down all things Major League Baseball. That's in 20 minutes. And it includes a Major League Baseball pitcher who stands for his faith versus what the Dodgers are currently doing with Pride Night, inviting a very specific group, uh, which... Uh, mocks the Catholic faith. We'll dive into that with, with Michael coming up in 20 minutes. Ben Mintz, Mincy, formerly of Barstool, and wake up, Mincy. He will be on the show in hour number three. Uh, a lot to dive into with Mincy. Uh, first, starting with his departure, his ouster at, uh, at Barstool, and then certainly some SEC topics, which include spring meetings that are going on. We've got a big topic with that coming up. And Scotty and MJ continue to have beef. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon. An Alistair at Barstool that no one that actually works for Barstool wanted to happen. So we'll talk with Mincy about that. And we all Except know the why it happened. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the parent company were the only ones that wanted it. Basically, people who didn't know him were the ones who yep. wanted him gone. And everyone who knew him didn't want him gone. So we'll talk to him about that. Hutton, it was a long weekend. Those long weekends uh, always feel like they could be maybe one day longer. But excited to be back here on a short week. I wish the Celtics and Heat were one game longer. Going eight-game series instead of seven. That was a great series. Yeah, it was. Uh, going back to game six, which we'll dive into. And then last night with the Heat rebounding after holding the 3-0 lead. Celtics coming back to tie the series three games apiece. We've never seen it happen where a team comes back to claim the series and advance down 0-3 in the NBA. Celtics had it. Back at home. Juiced Arena. And Chad... The Heat showed up like they did the first three games instead of the previous three. And it's such a cool series because it's such a spotlight for perseverance with both teams when you look at it. The Celtics were terrible. Grant Williams was yeah. a punchline. He he barked at the dog and the dog bit back with Jimmy Butler in, in that game two loss at home. Then they go to Miami and South Beach and get smacked around in game three. And we're here on this show, and everyone else is mocking the Celtics as being dead yeah, down 0-3. And, yeah, they, and they, they actually quit. They took all their starters out early in the fourth quarter of a game they're getting blown out in. Instead, they bounce back. They win a big game on the road. They go home. They win easily in Boston. They go back on uh, Sunday night. In, I'm getting my – Saturday night. Saturday night. Saturday night. Long weekend. Saturday night down in Miami – they went on a Derek White buzzer beater to tie it up at three. And then it shifts from, boy, the Celtics were dead, now they're alive, to that buzzer beater sure feels like the Heat are now dead. Yeah. And they're about to undergo the biggest choke job in the history of NBA playoffs 
And instead, they go back to Boston. They book a flight for Denver, not back home to Miami after that game, and they whip the Celtics. So just a terrific spotlight for perseverance on both sides of this series. And I thought that was the highlight of the whole thing was both teams had a chance to get off the mat and prove themselves, and they both did it over the course of a long series, which led to a lot of drama. Now, much like the seven-game series between the Celtics and Sixers in the previous series, I'd like to see a competitive Game 7. The Celtics blew out the Sixers in Game 7, and the Heat, they blow out uh, the Celtics on their home court in in this Game 7. So I would have preferred very close, down-to-the-wire Game 7s, but with what we got in that classic of a Game 6 down in Miami... I think it all but made up for a bad game seven. Yeah, the bad the, the bad game seven is is stunning to me, really, because of the way the arena was jacked up for this. You know, they had all hands on deck trying to pump up the crowd, and within the first three minutes of the first quarter, you could tell Boston was not going to hit their threes. They are so reliant from beyond the arc, and that's what they shot. They shot their way back into it, and then game six, they didn't shoot very well at all. Only hit five threes and attempted like 20-something, and still won that game on the uh, the crazy tip-in with 0.1 seconds to go. What a finish there just to get it to a Game 7 with White's tip-in off the uh, the missed three-point shot. And, and, and the, the quick three as well with three seconds to go, following three straight free throws from Jimmy Butler, who had not been playing well, and then hits three free throws where he knows he's he's got a chance to just win the game, and then... Point one on the clock, White tips it in for the win, and they're headed back to Boston, and then they come out that bad shooting in Game 7. Well, And that's why you take the quick shot. I mean, that was smart by the Celtics to get that shot up quick. It's a bad first shot, but you have the chance to tip in when you do that, and Derek White just barely getting it in. Uh, incredible Game 6. Wish it would have been a closer Game 7, but the Heat – Second team in NBA history to go from eight seed to NBA Finals. The 1999 New York Knicks did this before. They lost to the San Antonio Spurs in that 1999 NBA Finals. Will it be a similar fate for this eight seed as they get ready to take on the Denver Nuggets? Credit to the officials, by the way, in this game. Uh, The official who called it good, that tip-in, and they went to the review, but he had already said the basket was good. They could have used that at at the wedding reception where Heat fans were going crazy. And then they realized they have to pipe down after the celebration. They started celebrating with three seconds left before the ball was in play. Then they see the miss three, and you can hear them go crazy at the reception. By this time, the ref's counting it good, yeah. and they're going to review it. I'm and a- someone's running through the dance floor telling them to please calm down. This, this game is <laughs> we're not going to the finals just yet. People are dancing. They've got a heat flag running through the reception. I'm going to give a review of what's going on here. You've got two things at play. One, very intoxicated people. Two, people who aren't real sports fans that are doing this and looking for any reason to celebrate at this wedding. Because any true heat fan would have watched to see if it was tipped in. They did have the flag. They had it ready to go because it's a party and they were doing it all for aesthetics. They're not heat fans. They're looking for a reason to party, and they're drunk. Looks like Miami to me. If you're a sports fan and you are really into your team, I'd like to ask every sports fan that's watching or listening right now, have you ever started celebrating that way when the ball is tipped and immediately missed and immediately tipped in, and you're not sitting there waiting to see if there's a review or if they hit the shot when there's a celebration happening? 
These are non-sports fans. These are drunk people that were looking for a reason to get more drunk and drink more and party, and they found it. Unfortunately, it was for false reasons because their beloved their beloved Heat lost the game. And the three the three free throws uh, to seal it. I thought it was done at that point. And then you take the quick timeout that allows the inbounds. I like the new rule. That's what set up this game winning play to begin with, where you take the ball uh, on the, your own end of the floor after the timeout. And it set up the game-winning play. Apparently, Skip Bayless's wife wasn't happy with him and his reaction. Can you imagine watching a game with Skip Bayless? He had to admit. I, that, I can't keep up with Skip Bayless's teams. Well, why is he so worked up about this? I, I, don't, I don't think it's, I don't think he's a Heat fan. He's a Did Spurs he, fan, right? Yeah, he's a but he's he's a Texas guy. Yeah, I think because he's, he's just, Cowboys. He's Spurs. I don't even know if this is his team. I'm saying it's just he's rooting one way or the other. And he apparently went crazy based on whatever he predicted on the show. He had to have a bunch, a bunch of money on it, is what I'm yeah. thinking. But I, I just it was a Saturday isn't that night. Isn't odd Bayless. to get that worked up over uh, two teams you're indifferent with, unless I, you have a ton of money on it? I just think he's constantly on one side or the other. That's just how he's wired. I love to that the his, point of screaming. It, well, the game's over, and his wife, you know, is very nice and says, "Would you like to get something to eat?" Would you like me to make you something to eat? And his response was, eat? How could you ask me if I want to eat food at a time like this? <laughs> and if I'm his wife, I'm thinking... Well, he's frantically texting. This isn't your tweeting. team. I mean, what is your... I'd get it if it was like he, he's... That's it's him. the Spurs, and he's that worked up over his team, but you're going to be this emotional over two teams, the Heat and the Celtics, yeah. neither one of Bayless, which are your team? Bayless in the doghouse. Cool. You know, it's, yeah, a, it's, just, a, it's a Tuesday. That's how I would describe that for Skip Bayless. I love. The, I, I can't imagine being in a room with him watching a game. I just. I think it's insufferable. I, I, it's weird when being fake goes over to being at home. I like. I understand like fake debate is what they're trying to do on the show. Oh, he's constantly tweeting during the game. Is it because he's getting worked up over people tweeting? I'm trying to really get into the psychology. No, he doesn't. He doesn't follow. I'm not speaking anyone. to someone because. If it's your team, I totally understand you're going to snap at someone quickly when your team loses. But I, why is he so worked up over two teams that aren't his? He's a huge fan of sports, Welcome clearly. to First Take slash Undisputed. I mean, that's, that's the description of their show. We get worked up on te- over teams and headlines that we're not passionate about. It's just... That's what they do. It's, I, maybe it's because he was defending his take on it. And that's why he was so passionate about oh, it. Yeah, I guess he he's passionately defeated, said that the Celtics the were going to lose, and he, he hey. passionately said the Heat were going to win. So he was upset over it. Denver's a massive favorite for a reason. Now it was Boston. Now it's Denver, according to Vegas. Because Boston didn't Boston didn't attack the rim at all in that series. Denver is just solid throughout, and they're definitely crashing the boards with Jokic. Feels like failure now if Denver doesn't win it. Yeah. Going against the eight yes, seed. I mean, yes. the Heat, good story. They've got a lot of momentum. They got off the mat after looking like they were going to – it looked like there was going to be about 10 days in between each team series to go against the other one. Now there's three days in between the Heat and a game seven to game one of the NBA Finals. But now suddenly, it, is it too long of a layoff? That's what we're going to be asking before Thursday's game one for the Nuggets to get out of a routine – that could affect the game. They get the game at home, at least, in Denver. These are five or six-point games during the regular season between the two. Yeah. They only played twice. I'm fully expecting a good series. 
Well, the way I think it'll feel plays, very disappointing if the Nuggets don't win it. And Tyler Hero could I'm, return. I'm not going to yell at my wife and say, "Don't I can't eat right now if they if they lose like yeah. Skip Bayless." But it does feel disappointing. I want the Nuggets to win. It would feel disappointing to the Nuggets if they don't win it. But I fully expect a six or seven game series. The way the Heat's been playing, it is deja vu for Jimmy Garoppolo. Reports that he's he's not able to pass a physical with the Las Vegas Raiders. Deja vu because we have seen this storyline play out just last year around this time. In fact, a couple of months prior. And the timing of it is very reminiscent of what we saw with Jimmy G in San Francisco, where he could have had surgery on that shoulder from last year earlier in the offseason to then be ready to go around training camp or be ready to pass a physical in order to be traded. He, he delayed that procedure until March, I believe, of 2022. And that kept San Francisco from being able to move him via trade because teams wanted him to be able to pass a physical. That's Otherwise, they're not going to trade for him and pick up the salary. San Fran ended up keeping him. We know it ended up working out in San Francisco's favor up until December when he hurt his foot. And he didn't have surgery on the foot injury that kept him out until March. And now he can't pass a physical with the Raiders, even though they gave him the exemption when they first signed him in free agency this offseason, they don't owe him a dime until he passes a physical. And then there's a second part of this where he plays in a game and does not re-injure the same foot. But what do you do if you're the Raiders now, knowing that he may not be ready to go and your backup options are Brian Hoyer and Aiden O'Connell and your free agent options right now are Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, and Teddy Bridgewater. You could also trade, but at this point, you have to let the timetable play out with Jimmy G. You could cut bait with him and not owe him anything, but I don't think that's the route or path they want to go because when they signed him, they gave him the, the failed physical exemption, the health exemption. But he's, I mean... They should have seen what happened last year and known, hey, we, this is a procedure we want you to get done. Do it now instead of waiting later. And because of this, the timetable on Jimmy Garoppolo, who when healthy wins games. But the other truth of that is that's only about 50% of the time, the win healthy part. And they don't have a great option after dumping Derek Carr, who was healthy, in exchange for Jimmy G, who's going to be available for 50% of the games at best, and that's based on his starting career uh, throughout the NFL. Here we go again, running it back. And this is an organization that needs to win. It's Josh McDaniels who needs to win. And right now, they don't have a quarterback that can get the job done for them because he's either in the, on the training table, electing to get a surgery later in the offseason than sooner in the offseason. And he's... The other options are backup options who are good to finish out a game, but not good to go win you uh, a division and compete for a Super Bowl. And it leads me again to being surprised again that they didn't target quarterback with a top 10 pick this year. Yeah, that's an, they could have done that. I, I now, just, right now, you've got Josh McDaniels, who's known as a quarterback guy. Yeah who's Tom Brady's guy for years and years, and here they ha they've set with the number Jimmy seven G. pick, and Jimmy G is the option. I mean, he's okay when fully healthy, but is he really going to be healthy again? Hutton just laid out all the contract addendums that tell you that he's not healthy and may not ever be healthy again. 
and you had a high draft pick and you don't use it on quarterback. I'm surprised by that. I thought in the build-up so, to the draft, they were a team to watch for one of those quarterbacks, and instead, Will Levis was a name that was thrown yes. out for the Raiders a lot, that, that he would match what McDaniels wants to do. Instead, they're rolling with Jimmy Garoppolo and nothing else. And the rumors are circulating, and Vegas's odds are right there, too. The odds on favorite, if Garoppolo's not healthy, for who would be the week one starter for the Raiders is Tom Brady, who owns a small percentage of the Las Vegas Raiders, but not official yet. Not official because the NFL owners have not approved the purchase. And part of this is what they want is the assurance that Brady is officially retired for good. But if he wants to come out and play and join the Raiders, hypothetically, all he has to do is rescind his offer because it hasn't technically been approved yet. He's, as of today, not one of the minority owners of the Las Vegas Raiders. They're ready to submit that, and they have that done, but it hasn't been voted through by the, the league's ownership group. It takes 24 yes votes to get that done. So can you do both? No. Could he do this? Yes. But he would have to rescind his offer to be the Raiders' owner in order to play as the team's quarterback. And here's the other thing, too. He wanted to be the Raiders' quarterback. He wanted to play in Las Vegas. We know that through Rob Gronkowski, who said everything was set up perfectly except for John Gruden nixing the idea of bringing Brady and Gronk together to Vegas. So there's that other portion of this story that's not going to go away anytime soon. Hutton, I have one word in response to this story. Please, please let this be true. Please, Tom, please come back. Please, please let this be a storyline. Please be a Las Vegas Raider. This would be incredible. We thought Aaron Rodgers with the Jets in New York was going to be fun to watch. Think about Tom Brady going into retirement for a second time and then coming out to quarterback the Las Vegas Raiders. Please let it be true. Please. I don't wish ill on anyone. I hope Jimmy Garoppolo's fine health-wise overall. But if there's a little tweak to the foot that won't let him start the first game and it leads to Tom Brady being the quarterback, all for it. What an amazing story that would be. I'd love to follow. It. And as Jim Gray pointed out on the Let's Go podcast with Tom, Brady once said, hey, I'll retire when I suck. And Gray pointed out, you don't suck, man. You still got, you still got some, uh, a year in you if you wanted to play. You don't suck. Does he get that itch? Don't know. But we do know he wants to be a part of the Raiders organization. And they may have a need for it. I don't think it's immediate. But they can get out of the Garoppolo contract without owing him a dime uh, based on the fact that he can't pass a physical uh, currently. Coming up, Michael McHenry joins us. Major League Baseball headlines and more, including a pitcher for the Nationals. Uh, starting pitcher who has voiced his opinion on social media about what the Dodgers are doing, celebrating with a pride group that openly mocks Catholicism. That's next on Hot Mike. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Ehop here and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hutton with Row, Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. Coming up, Pippen, Scotty Pippen calling MJ a horrible player. We will uh, dive in on that. Speaking of a poor choice of words, yeah, my goodness, horrible player, Michael Jordan. We'll try to dissect this. Uh, Michael McHenry dissects all things Major League Baseball with us. Uh, each, uh, every other week, I should say, he's in for Schilling today, MLB analyst and analyst for the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Fort joins us now. Hope you're doing well, Michael. Did I hear you say someone, I mean, anybody said Michael Jordan wasn't a good player? Uh, that would be Scotty Pippen who said that. Scotty Pippen said this, yes. Man, what are people drinking nowadays? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, all right, sorry. Good, well, good, guys. I'm doing well. Just had a, a little mini heart attack, but I'm okay now. Okay. I uh, hope all is well on your end. Hey, um, so Trevor Williams, who you know well, I believe he was with the Pirates organization for four or five seasons uh, a handful of years ago. Right-hander now for the Nationals. Um, he's called out the Dodgers for wavering and coming back around on the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Uh, a a pride group that openly mocks Catholicism. He's a devout Catholic and says that this is fellow Catholics should reconsider their support of the Los Angeles Dodgers based on what they're doing. Uh, that it's in violation of the discrimination policy that's within the Dodgers organization and each organization across the league, and that everyone from on any walk of life should be welcomed at a Major League Baseball park on any given night uh, over one or uh, different groups. And it's a lengthy statement, um, but you know him well. You know Trevor Williams well. I'm, I'm assuming he's very genuine and very thoughtful in how he put this out there on social media today. There's no doubt about it. And he does so much good for his community. If you don't know 34 Project, look that up. He's doing that for a friend. But this guy's a great human being. And, and he's speaking from his, from his heart. He's the Catholic representative. He was for the Pirates. I'm sure he is with the Nationals and you know anywhere else he's been. He's probably represented his Catholic faith on his sleeve no matter what. I don't understand the digs. You know, if you want to have a night, whatever, everybody should be represented however they want. They can be who they want, decide who they are in that given day. It doesn't matter to me. We're going to love them as Christians and as Catholics. But the reality of it is we're all people. We're all going to make mistakes. The one thing I'll say, guys, the Dodgers MLB need to answer questions. They need to get out in front of things, whether it's a rule change, whether it's a mistake, whether it's a penalty that they bring down on a player. They do a really good job of running into the woods and hiding where our God ran into the woods and meditated fast and made great decisions when he came out. They never come out. They never come say anything. And that's the bother I have. Just get out in front of it. Say, hey, this is why we did this. Maybe we made a mistake, but we're going to own this, period. But they don't. They run away from it, and that's the sad part about the reality we live. Guys can run away. Women can run away no matter what. Never answer for what they say, what they do, especially when it's a social media society. Well, and it's first off, the statement from Trevor Williams was terrific. It's hard to poke terrific. holes in anything that he put out there. I, I thought it was very well written. And he points to the, the over 4 million members of the Catholic community in Los Angeles County alone uh, with, with Dodgers fans. Now – 
I post this on Twitter, and and now we kind of get into the cultural game of tennis, right? This is how it it happened. First, the Dodgers did it. Then they disinvited this group Mm -hmm. because Marco Rubio and others spoke out against it. Well, then a lot of people in Los Angeles spoke out against the Dodgers for doing that. So what happened? They re-invited this group. Now you have Trevor Williams doing this. People are pointing to faith nights at minor league ballparks or major league ballparks. And I think that the key point is here – I've never been a part of a faith night, Michael, or seen one where the faith night group involved is going around the concourse openly mocking the gay community. Uh, that's, that's the difference here, right? If you want to point to differences on this and what Trevor Williams is bringing up, they are honoring a group that openly mocks Christian faith and the Catholic religion with, with what they're doing. This seems like a real problem for the Dodgers, and kudos to Trevor Williams for pointing all this out and being bold enough to say it and do it in a very thoughtful and rational way. Guys, n- no standard never lives. And, and that's the problem. You, you can't stand on a, a sea of water and expect to stand there and, and not drown. And that's what the Dodgers are doing. That's what MLB doing. They're just throwing out different things with no rhyme, no reason, no standard no values behind it. And that's a problem. It's always going to be a problem. You can live and die by your standards and values. Maybe you just don't know. Maybe you made a mistake, but at least you can go to a table and have a conversation. The one thing about a faith night, I started, I helped start the one in Pittsburgh. I've spoken at a lot. I speak at a couple every single year is everyone's welcome. There's no one that's not welcome. If you don't believe that's fine. Come hang out. We're not trying to throw things down your throat. At least I'm not, I can't, speak for every Christian. I can't speak for every Catholic. They suck too at times. That's the reality, but we're all people. We're all lost in some way, shape or form. We're trying to grab a hold of some group that can kind of build us up, make us feel a little bit better and hopefully bring the best out in us and vice versa to them. And that's not what we're doing. We're, we're always mock shame divided. And that's not a way to live. Clinton Kershaw has also uh, talked about this openly. You know, it's not just going to be other, other players from around the league. They're going to have, players on their own roster in their own clubhouse that are going to speak on this. Yeah. Why should it affect the game, right? The guys that are going to play the game should have to wear a certain Jersey. shouldn't have to do anything. Should go out there and have to play. If they don't believe in something, that's their right. I'm pretty sure we live in America still. And that's the right we have, you know, has nothing to do with the way they play the baseball game. Who cares? Let them go out, let them do it. And every time politics, religion, anything gets kind of, thrown into sports, it, it ends up hurting it. You know, we should all just love each other the best we can, honor each other's beliefs, and then try to have a conversation. And that's that's the problem. There's never a conversation. It just kind of dies. That's why I love you guys. You throw things out there, and you're willing to talk about it. Whether you believe or don't believe, you're at least willing to debate because no matter what, somebody's going to learn something on that given day. Yeah, and, and Chad and I are firm on this. Uh, if I'm going to a game, I don't care who I'm sitting next to at the stadium. You know, that's, that's, that's one, one of the, the great things about sports. One of the few spots, uh, that in a concert, you know, where you're you're going, you don't, really don't care who you're sitting next to as long as you're there to to watch whatever is the entertainment going on. Um, and it's a it's a melting pot, and that's what it's it, it's taken away in, in this instance. Michael, speaking of pitchers, uh, Chris Bassett openly admitted, like, hey, we're we're it's on me. It's tipping pitches to Aaron Judge a couple of weeks ago. Judge, of course, post game said he, he heard chirping going on in the Yankees' dugout, and that's what he was looking over there uh, prior to a couple of pitches late in that at-bat before he hit a, a home run, the second of that night. 
uh, what ended up being an easy Yankees win. But uh, Bassett ha- has come out and said that, yeah, uh, Judge was lying in his, his, his reasoning for it. Here's, here's Bassett on the, on the homer. So when the Judge stuff was going on, were you cognizant of it? Did you watch the video afterward? Um, yeah, we, we, we knew it was going on. So I'll say this about the whole situation. They knew we were tipping and they were, they were relaying tips. Um, is that illegal? No, it's not illegal. Um, is it kind of in that gray area of like, all right, if the first base and third base coach are having to relay tips, is that kind of a gray area where it's like, should that be allowed for first and third base coaches to do? I, you you can you can argue that back and forth all you want. Judge's response to it, I have no problem with it. Was it a lie? Yeah, it was a lie. What like what do you want him to do? Come out and say, hey, all their pitchers were tipping, and I'm going to tell them how they're tipping. I just think he kind of made up a story just to basically kind of say like, I'm not going to tell them they're tipping. Like, why would I say that? But it was so obvious. That was with Chris Rose there, Bassett. Uh, it was so obvious, though, Michael, that he was looking to the dugout pre-pitch to know exactly what was going on. It, there's chirping in every game, every inning that would not be distracting for Aaron Judge. Uh, in this case, to me, it was obvious the day after what was going on. And I, I'm all for it, but I wish if I'm Judge or the Yankees, I don't want to make it that obvious. Is there a gray area? That he talked about there, where he says, is there a gray area with the third base coach and the first base coach getting involved and where he's getting the signal from? We can debate that. Is there a gray area? Because all I've heard is, hey, if you're doing something to tip your pitches, all's fair if you're not using a video evidence or electronic device or anything else with everyone. Or is there actually a gray area that Chris Bassett is bringing up there, Michael? No gray area for me. If it's on field and you're not wearing a device... You're not using someone from the stands. You're not using the camera wells. There's a lot of different things guys have used over the years and teams have used, and you try to figure out ways to combat it. Now we have all these electronics in the game. I mean, it's just a matter of time before someone hacks that pitch com. I mean, that's a reality. I mean, it's a frequency. Somebody's going to hack it, and somebody's going to get it. It'll probably be in the playoffs. They'll probably decide to playoffs. I mean, you have to look and start to combat things that may come to life. There's literally bet their career on guys tipping pitches like Delgado with the Mets. He always had a terrible first half and went ballistic in the second half because he would have his notebook of tip pitches. I remember when uh, Daniel Murphy told me all these things, I was mind blown. And then come to find out every single guy you watch, especially being an analyst, I get to watch it with 10 different views. Everybody tips. The catcher gives away the sign. If you're using different elements on the field, whether it's the guy on deck whether it's the first base coach, third base coach, which Milwaukee was very good at when I was in Pittsburgh, that's just you being smart and intelligent. They're giving you an opportunity to take advantage of them. You got to take it when you can. I mean, it's very, very hard to trust. A lot of teams tried that I was on when I played in Pittsburgh. Anytime I could, when we had that uh, bullpen that was on the field, I could steal the signs and I would try to relay it to my guys when I wasn't playing. I'd go down and protect the guy. And I never would try to catch there unless it was late in the ball game to try to relay signs. And we won some games because of that. That's a reality. You have to do everything you can to win a baseball game. And that's part of the game. I don't think, you know, going outside the field is, and there's rumors that some teams do that. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Maybe they figured out some other things or create an algorithm like Houston did and wear a device. I don't think it was a trash can, by the way. I'm still going to argue that till I'm, till I'm dead and gone because that makes no sense because you can't hear a trash can, period. Um. And just staying on the pitching element, Chad, 
Strider. Fastest to 100 strikeouts, what, 61 innings pitched. Put this in perspective for us, other than just the numbers, knowing that it's the fastest since 1893, um, since they moved the mound. Um, but, Michael, in perspective, uh, it, it just based on a, a generality, how long would it, how many innings is the average pitcher pitching before he gets to 100 strikeouts? Well, first off, it's toxic and Craig Kimbrell having a baby is what we're, what we're talking here. <laughs> Tom Selleck and Craig Kimbrell because the mustache. Because the mustache is off stat, the charts. Yes. Mr. Baseball. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, this hasn't been done in, in, in 100 years. What he did. Jacob deGrom did it in 61 and two-thirds. He's been the best pitcher over the last six years when he's healthy, seven years. But Strider's still, what, 24, 25 years old? He's got thunder thighs. He's got an incredible mustache that has to be hard to focus when you're hitting. And then he has electric stuff. And he's a guy that is so cerebral in what he's trying to do. He focuses on his extension. What, what that means is this guy's not even six foot tall. Maybe he says he's six foot, maybe with a little booster. He is. He is at 93 percentile. Last I look at closest release to the plate at how small he is. So that defies gravity with his fastball. It makes it mm. not drop as fast as other guys. So I asked Andrew McCutcheon recently, he's like, Tell me about Strider. I caught him as a kid. He had electric stuff, was all over the place. But it seems like he's honed in. He goes, dude, he literally throws a fastball, and you have to think about swinging almost a foot above it to try to hit it. But then you think you're going to get the heater, and he throws that breaking ball, and you have no shot. So he's a, he's literally a closer, like Craig Kimbrell, that happens to pitch six or seven innings every single night. What he's doing is just remarkable. This early in the season, we've seen it for short stints, but – he does this all season. He's a Cy Young, period. Let's stick with that Braves rotation because Mike Soroka came back uh, last night against the Oakland A's. The 11th win of the season, by the way, for the A's against Mike Soroka <laughs> and the Braves. That record is ins- 11-45, I think they are. When I saw them, thinking, this is only their 11th win of the season. Here we are entering June at this point. But how big is Soroka returning to that lineup or that pitching rotation for a Braves team that has been injured in that rotation so far this season? I I think it's incredible that they're in a place where he doesn't have to become the guy. You know, he was the guy when he left. When he hurt that Achilles, he was the guy. He's been through a lot. I think it's going to make him that much better, especially having Charlie Morton, some guys that have been through uh, some serious injuries and come back and been better. I think they've surrounded him with the right people, the right staff, um, including the pitching staff, but also the coaching staff that are going to make him better than he could ever imagine to be. A lot of times when guys come up and they just have instant glory, they don't really understand what failure is, but then they go through some type of catastrophic injury. Maybe it's a God forbid a death in the family, or we just saw the white Sox closer just get over cancer. That gives you a perspective. You cannot get anywhere else. And that's just going to make him better. So I think the pressure that he's not going to have on him because they're out in front, they're, they're playing very, very well. When their offense isn't good, their pitching's good. When their pitching's not good, their offense is good. Everything's firing all cylinders. So he doesn't have to put the weight of the world on top of his shoulders. So that's really, really good to see. Let's go rapid fire with Michael McHenry. Now Memorial Day weekend has passed. We've got a sense of what teams are made of, maybe what they're not made of, and where they need to make up come the trade deadline later this summer. Uh, but biggest surprise to you out of the gates of the season would be who or which team? Well, first off, the Oakland A's with 11 wins could not have predicted a team to be that bad, period. Even the Oakland A's, because 
We're seeing what Tampa did. I remember us talking early in the season. Neither one of you guys thought Tampa was going to be any good. Those teams seemed to surprise, but come to player, Nolan Gorman. If you don't know who that is, St. Louis second baseman. He really didn't have a position. He came up as a third baseman. They found one because he's absolutely destroying the ball. He's almost matched his home run total from last year, making better swing decisions. And if you look right now, he could possibly be in that MVP talk just because of the numbers he's putting up. It's really, really special. I don't think he's in there. Probably top five, though. Biggest disappointment. Once again, the Oakland A's and involved B. <laughs> I, I think we need a floor. I, 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 I'm with the Pittsburgh Pirates. They, they, they write me a paycheck. But the reality of it is we need a floor. We need a $100 million floor. It needs to happen yesterday. And I think it's going to make the game better. I, I don't think you can argue that you know Steve Cohen spending $300 million made them any better. But the tanking problem is an issue and not putting quality baseball out there because they're moving the next year. That, that's the reality. They're, they're just saying, whatever, we don't care about the stadium. We don't care about the product. We don't care about anything. But reality is that's saying we don't care about the fans and that's not okay. Front runner for the Cy Young. Strider in the NL. And I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Garrett Cole in the AL. And there's a reason because Otani is going to be the MVP. Okay. So MVP he's in the AL, Otani. And in the NL, he's always, he's always, if he's alive and playing, he's MVP. Like you can't, you cannot argue with two players in one. You just can't like, even if he's an average hitter, he's still better than everyone else. So sorry. Yeah. That's a tangent. I, I get no. on all the time. Yeah. And then, it's remarkable. And then in the NL, the NL, which one? MVP. MVP? Oh, Acuna Jr. By far. Guy's going to do something that's unprecedented. If he keeps going, he's still hitting close to three 30. It's going to be 40-40 guy. I mean, he's, he's literally what Bo Jackson could have been at his best right now. I mean, what he's doing is just remarkable. I saw him get thrown out on a steal last night and was shocked when I saw it. That's how good he's been all year. I was like, whoa, he actually – someone actually threw him out at second. You just see it <laughs> so few times. Now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and finally, favorite rule change? Well, my least favorite to start off with is the bases. I still don't get it, and all at once – all it wants my head to think about is a Papa John's pizza because it looks like a Papa John's yeah, pizza box. It does. So thanks. I'm a lot fatter MLB <laughs> without appreciate it. And then honestly, I, I have liked the time shift. I, I still don't like all the nook and crannies with it, but it's been good and it, it rivals the shift. I hated that rule. I think we, we, we allow teams and players to figure it out. It always has been that way and it should be that way. But being able to see the athleticism with these guys is remarkable. You know, since they're playing in the regular position and the numbers that some of these guys are putting up with their defensive war and whatnot is remarkable too. The Fort, Michael McHenry has been our guest, Major League Baseball analyst, uh, also does great work with the Pittsburgh Pirates and more. Follow him on social at the Fort McHenry. Michael, thank you so much, man. We'll catch up. Appreciate you guys. See you soon. Have a great God week. Bless. Yeah. Thanks, bud. Michael McHenry, uh, great insight there. Uh, Nick Saban's teeing off on the state of college football right now at SEC spring meetings. We're going to hit that coming up in about 15 minutes. Recap it. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz has said a lot already today <laughs> down in Destin. Too. He has the the quote of the the meeting so far. Old Eli. Yes. I think. Yeah. He left Someone out. else. Lane Kiffin hasn't really spoken yet, so he's going to throw his, his hat in the ring at some point. But right now it's all Eli. Uh, Saban currently saying, is this what we want college football to become? as he took the podium at SEC uh, spring meetings. 
Hey, you can go check out the uh, new Kurt Schilling baseball show right now. It drops every Tuesday and Friday at outkick.com. Uh, and Schilling will be back with us uh, coming up soon, as well as uh, great insight with Michael McHenry every other week. The beef between Pippen and MJ continues. We'll try to dissect what Scotty was trying to say when he said that Michael Jordan was a horrible player. That's next on Hot Mike. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So if you've wondered, hey, I, I wonder if there's beef between Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Yes. Yep. And it's more than just the last dance where it was evident. But it's even evident recently uh, in a podcast. It's the Stacy King Hot Sauce podcast. And he's being asked about the greatest of all time and where he would rank Jordan. I'm sure he's asked about other things. But here is Scottie Pippen on the Gimme Hot Sauce podcast and, and discussing Michael Jordan's career and where he would rank him. LeBron will be the greatest statistical guy to ever play the game of basketball. And there's no comparison to him. None. So, does that make him the greatest player to ever play the game? I'll leave that out for debating because I don't believe that there's a great player because our game is a team game and one player can't do it. Like, I seen Michael Jordan play before I came to play with the Bulls. You guys seen him play. He's a horrible player. He was horrible to play with. He was all one-on-one. He's shooting bad shots. And all of a sudden, we become a team and we start winning. Everybody forgot who he was. Everyone learned who he was. It's a horrible player. Uh Really hard, tr- poor choice of words. Yeah, I, I'm trying to figure what, out what, what he's trying to get to is understandable in that Jordan was averaging over 31 a game and had not gotten out of the first round of the playoffs because he was a one-man show. Yeah. But to call him a horrible player and that you know great players don't exist because it's a team game, I, I mean, Scotty didn't go on to win titles when Jordan went and played baseball. No, but Phil Jackson sides... A much a lot of what Pippen said. You know, he's he was asked about the uh, Phil Jackson was asked recently um, about the most complete player. You know, and, and I think there may have been discussion Jokic and and others, and he mentioned Scotty based on all facets of the game, and that made me think maybe Phil Jackson would would side with Scotty on the discussion that he starts with, which is LeBron. It, this is the LeBron greatest player of all time debate. Uh, but horrible player for Jordan is just missing the point. He, he uh, was though. You're, you're right, Hutton. But he, so Scotty's right in that when he got there, we, we're th- talking late '80s right now. When Jordan was starting out, he was the NBA Rookie of the Year. He was a mm-hmm. scoring phenom. He was a highlight reel all the time. He sucked on defense. He wasn't a great passer. 
He was a terrible outside shot. He was a lot of things. But what was great about Jordan was he got better at all those things. He was a NBA Defensive Player of the Year. He was NBA All-Defensive Team, which people said he would never be able to do. So he got better at those things. So Scotty's not wrong. He was it was around the time. Yeah. Well, not as good as his uh, the <laughs> attendant in the locker room, but almost. Scotty's not wrong in that it, it was around the time he got there and the Bulls started building that Jordan got better at outside shooting. Jordan got became a better defender. His understanding of the game became better and they became a better team in large part because of Scotty Pippen. But horrible player? No. No one ever said Michael Jordan was a horrible player going back to his no. days at North Carolina. He was always a great player. We know about Scottie Pippen because of MJ. He's a different type of to player. To end it like the way Scotty did. They I mean, both helped each other a lot. Of course. That's the one unfortunate part about it. And I love the drama. But the unfortunate byproduct of the last dance is it did not depict Scottie Pippen in a great light. And Scottie's very hurt by that. And he's speaking through his hurt. This is like when someone says, go tweet about it. When you tweet through your pain... Scotty is talking through his pain based off that documentary and the fact that Jordan's son is with his ex-wife and mother of his four kids. Those two things are combining to make Scotty very, very bitter. And they're both understandable. But also, I mean, it, it was bitter before news got out about Jordan Jr. And, uh, it was, it's, and the wife. It's bitter because of that no, documentary. Yeah. He, was, he was tweeting through it, it during the airing of the documentary during COVID. When that was happening, he was going every every it was episode. A long ten he hours for Scotty. Yes, it was, <laughs> it was like a torture operation for Scotty Pippen to sit through all ten hours of that documentary. Meanwhile, Rodman loved it. Oh yeah, Carmen Electra answering the door. Jordan's trying to wake up Rodman. Rodman just said, "Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah that happened. That happened. All all of it true." Coming up, Sam Ponder under attack for standing up for women's sports. That's next on Hot Mike.